So my wife and I will not be here the next uh, four weeks, and be, appreciate your prayers as we head to India. We are hoping, we are hoping, praying to be able to uh, join you on the Sunday evening services uh, from India, and uh, that'll be Monday morning in India. So we're hoping to join you for the Sunday evening. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to John, Gospel of John. We have already studied the prerequisites of, our, of the promises of God. And hopefully we understand that the promises of God have already been provided for through Jesus Christ. We have studied that already extensively. And we have looked at the promise of God uh, through Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, the necessity that we respond by faith, believing salvific faith. And we have distinguished salvific faith from a belief that we're going to talk about a little bit later this morning. We have seen that that cleanses us from our sin, uh, sets us on that course to eternal life, uh, establishes us as the children of God. Uh, and then also, as we trust in that provision, as we accept that sacrifice, that we are then given the, the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And that is uh, the basis of everything else. So now, having received Christ as our Savior, having, having the Holy Spirit resident within us, we then are given some wonderful promises. But those promises are, just like salvation, conditioned upon our response to the Holy Spirit. So the offer of salvation is given to the world, but it is conditional. It requires us to come to God and receive his son, Jesus Christ, and accept him as our Savior. And this involves, we understand, repentance. We understand that it involves uh, that I'm going to confess my sins before him, that I'm going to uh, turn and toward him in my life, that I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That This is a, a heart decision. And only those who make that hard decision will be the benefactors of Christ's sacrifice. And so even though Christ's sacrifice is certainly capable of covering all men's sin, receiving that benefit is conditioned. It waits for man to respond. And so even the greatest promise of God, the greatest provision of God is conditional. It requires something of you to make it your own. It is a bought and paid for gift that when you receive, you have to receive it. You have to put your hands out, accept it as your own, and open it for yourself. Otherwise, it does you no good. And a whole bunch of gifts sitting on a shelf, uh, unopened, are paid for, bought and, uh, are bought and, that's a redundant, are bought and, they are wrapped, they are presented, but they have no value to you because you never went up and took them and made them your own. And so we have a requirement of us to receive salvation. It shouldn't surprise us then that there is something required of us to be full partakers of the extensive promises of God that are in Jesus Christ. Remember, Corinthians tells us that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And that is a very powerful statement. That doesn't mean that they are just automatically ours. It means that the provision is there for all Christians to fully participate in the promises of God if 
we meet the qualifications. If we follow after them. We have looked in Jesus' discussion here in John 14, 15, and 16. We have taken time over the last many weeks to go through those qualifications, those if statements. If, and so we have found that if I abide in him and his word abides in me, if I bear fruit, if I am doing the works of the Father, if I believe in him, and that's a different belief than salvific belief we're going to talk about, and so if I believe in him, if I am going to um, walk in righteousness and be obedient to his commands, if we obey him, if we have the love of the Father in us, if uh, we uh, uh, <laughs> follow after the Holy Spirit, if we have these conditions we have talked about for these many weeks, we have some promises. And these promises are on two tiers. We're going to look at the one tier today. And then when I come back in a month, boy, that's going to be hard. We're going to handle the top tier, which has three parts. So the top tier of what Christ really wants for us, I have told you many times already in the, in the last several months, and that is you will have a perfect peace. You will have uh, uh, the love of the Father in fullness in your life, and you will have full joy. That these are the things Jesus offers us in John 14, 15, 16. I want my, you to have my peace, my joy, and love. Well, we all want that in our experience. And these, that tier of promises of God are consistently dependent upon, in Jesus' statements, upon another promise of God. And that is, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And it pulls us in to the culmination of why all of this activity, obeying his commands, of doing his work, of believing in the Son as, as a, as, and God as a, as a provider and, and good, gracious one who wants to uh, manifoldly bless us. Why does it uh, call us to uh, abide in him, to have his word abide in us, to bear fruit, to endure persecution. We've looked at all of these, and all of these are linked then throughout this, these three chapters to your prayer life. And so let's back up before we jump into a lot of chapter 15, and, well, really there, it's, it's in 14 as well, but let's look at these. I want you to look at the beginning of chapter 14, take you all the way back to the beginning of this series in John 14, 15, 16. The first verse of John 14 says, Let not your heart be troubled. We know what's coming up, hopefully. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Before the night is over, Peter's going to deny Christ three times. Before the dawning comes, Christ is going to be um, bloodied and presented to Pilate. A mob is going to, within 24 hours, a mob is going to yell out, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. We want a, a robbing murderer. We don't want Jesus. And so this is what's on the horizon. We are coming upon Gethsemane in just a few minutes. And Jesus' statement is not about himself. It's that, let not your hearts be troubled. <laughs> So the whole point of this conversation he has with the disciples uh, following this institution of the Lord's table is I want you to know there's going to be horrific things happening in the next few hours. 
In the next few days, the next three days are going to be tremendously troubling, but don't let it trouble you. Don't let your heart be troubled. You can believe me. And he's going to reiterate that in chapter 15, where he says, I don't, don't want you to be troubled. And we've already looked at that extensively. And the world's going to hate you. Don't let that bother you. Um, you're going to have some help. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. Um, and then we get into chapter 16. It says, verse 1, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. And so he wants us to stand fast, to endure. And all of the purpose of this is that we recognize the, the mechanisms by which God works in our lives, how we are to respond to them, and then the expectation of promises. So let's look at this repeated statement that Jesus Christ keeps making. You're in chapter 14. Jump down to verse 13. In, in John chapter 14, verse 13, it says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now this is not some magic formula and it sounds like it because when you hear people pray, you always hear them pray at the end, in Jesus' name, amen. And that we're trying to fulfill the formula of asking the Father in Jesus' name. But this is not about verbiage. This is about when we talk about praying in someone's name, it is praying in accordance with who they are and what they are. So it is saying, I want to pray in accordance with the will and the person of Jesus Christ. What is it that he would desire? Because remember, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He is not there just to care for me. I am there to serve him. And so his interests become my interests because I am his follower. And so when we talk about praying in Jesus' name, we're talking about more than just a... a a use of a phrase at the end of your prayer time. It's about praying in, in accordance with who Jesus is, that the phrase, what would Jesus do, probably needs to be translated more effectively. In, what would Jesus pray? What would Jesus pray today if he were in my circumstances and in my shoes? What would Jesus pray? Because he's going to be in Gethsemane in a few minutes, and here's what he's going to pray. He's going to pray, Father, if at all possible, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. This is, a, this is his model. And even when we go to the model prayer that we, again, it's not about the verbiage of the, our fathers. It's a model prayer showing us how to pray. That we, God is not disconnected from our daily needs. We pray about those. Give us this day our daily bread. But it's also about forgive us. But notice, forgive us as, that means in accordance with the forgiveness we give. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those that trespass against us. Oh, well that, now that's getting personal. Because now that's a condition. In accordance with how I forgive those who trespass against me, forgive me how I've trespassed against you. And so we find in these model prayers that we are praying according to God's purposes and will. This is a, a, a prerequisite. So don't think that by tacking on in Jesus' name at the end of every prayer fulfills this requirement. It is much more substantial than that. 
Let's go on to chapter 15. Let's look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's the conditional statement, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Jump ahead to verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. You should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Again, we've already studied the necessity of abiding in him, the necessity of bearing fruit to his name. These are requirements. These are prereqs for your prayer life. Don't quote the promise without the prerequisite. You want Jesus, you want God to answer your prayers? Then meet the conditions of the promise. Abide in him and bear fruit that lasts. Recognize that he has, he has selected you. This isn't about selecting you to be saved. This is about selecting you, the people who have received him as Savior and Lord, to bear fruit. Fruitfulness should be the natural activity of followers of Jesus Christ. But again, we want to quote the promise and forget that it's at the end of a verse that says, here's the requirements. And then if you'll go with me over to chapter 16, as we tie some of this together, and we have studied the Holy Spirit, spent several weeks on that. And let's pick up in verse 22. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you'll ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Do you see how your joy is connected to your prayers? And it's not really connected to praying. It's connected to God answering your prayers. So your joy is the outflow of God answering your prayers which requires you to pray <laughs> and to pray and ask for these things under the conditions of good praying, which are then dependent upon submitting the Holy Spirit, walking the Spirit in your life, which itself is dependent upon accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. So we have a foundation that's building, building, building up to this icing on the cake of joy, peace, and love in your life. Well, right below that, in that very moist part between the icing and the cake, that really moist part where the icing has kind of penetrated the cake, is that prayers are being answered. And this is the, the desire of God, is to answer our prayers. Look with me in verse 26. I, I skipped 25. We'll come back to that um, when I get back from India, Lord willing. In that day you will ask my, in my name, and I do not say that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and because I came forth from the Father, I came forth from the Father, and have come into the world, and again I leave the world and go to the Father. In that day you'll ask, you'll ask in who you're asking, you're asking the Father, and it's not that we need a mediator, uh, it's not that Jesus, you have to ask Jesus and then, you're asking the Father, please notice, in your praying, you're praying to the Father, but you're praying according to the person and character of Jesus Christ. And thus, when we talk about being joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that is that we are put on a, on a plane that is phenomenally, it's mind-boggling, that we are put on a plane 
in our inheritance equal to Jesus Christ. And so I pray to the Father according to the name of Jesus, and the Father loves me. And when I hear people saying, well, I, I pray to God, but I don't really pray directly to him, I'm going to pray to Mary. And I'm going to ask Mary to ask God, because Mary is a favored character, and I'm talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, because Mary is a favored character to God because she's the mother of God. Um, wrong! I'm going to pray to Saint so-and-so because he has established himself as a favorite character in the court of God. Wrong! There's only one that we concern ourselves. That is that am I walking with Christ in such a manner that I come before the Father in his namesake. That, that's his, his not verbiage, but in that I'm walking as Jesus would walk, I'm going to pray as Jesus would pray, I'm going to pray according to his character, then I have direct access to the Father. It blows your mind, doesn't it? You don't have to pray to me to pray to somebody. There's no chain of command here. You're given direct access to the Father because the Father loves you. He doesn't love Saint so-and-so more than he loves you. He doesn't love... Mary, mother of Jesus, more than he loves you. In fact, he made it very clear during his life on earth that mom doesn't have any authority to direct his attentions or his activities. Who are my mother, brothers, sisters? Those who do the will of my father. Those are the ones. And so we come to these promises, and they're, it's a wondrous promise, but you don't really believe them. Here's how I know you don't believe them. And I, I have a long list, okay? <laughs> it's not one or two things that I know you don't really believe what Jesus just said here. And by the way, you're not alone. Historically, you're not alone. Okay, before I get to the list, just to get you off the hook a little bit so you don't feel like I'm ragging on you, all right? Well, actually, I do want you to feel like I'm ragging on you. Because um, Jesus himself says, you know what? And James does the same thing. You, you don't have anything because you don't ask for anything. And when you ask, you ask amiss because you only ask for yourself. You don't ask for the glory of the Father and in the character and person of Jesus Christ. You don't pray as Jesus would pray. You pray as Kirk would pray, selfishly. Put your own name in there. But just so... Just so you know that you're not, this is not a unique experience to our generation, turn with me to the book of Acts. That's the next book in the, in the New Testament there. You're in John, just turn over to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. You should know this story, but um, I'm, I'm not going to assume you do, so let's look at it here very carefully. <clears throat> well, we're going to read a lot of this. We're gonna leave, it's a, it, self-explanatory story. I'm not going to preach on it a lot. I'm just going to share it so you know it. Now about that time, Herod the Great, or Herod the King, stretched out his hand and her, to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. There's our verse. Constant prayer. Continuous prayer was being offered to God for him by the church. 
They've already lost one. And now they're threatening to lose another of their primary leadership of the church in Jerusalem. So they've already slaughtered the pastor or one of the pastors. Now they're going after the head pastor. They're going after Peter. And he says, hey, everybody's happy I put James to, to the sword. I killed him. Let's just kill some more. All the Jews love me. That was important to Herod. When Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. Remember, Peter's sleeping. The church is praying. That night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. By the way, um, I haven't been sleeping very well. It's because I don't believe the promises of God well enough. And talking with Nathan, he, he and Kelly are not sleeping very well. Because anxiety robs us of sleep. Because we don't believe the promises of God. Peter, sleeping. Might be dying tomorrow, but I'll sleep tonight. Because what's that? What's dying tomorrow? What, what can Herod do to me? Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up and said, Rise quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, I love that little phrase, <laughs> what have I been doing? <laughs> Sometimes we need to come to ourselves, and I hope you will today. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Here is Peter walking through the prison right out those front gates, right by the guard posts, and walking down the street thinking, this is a really cool dream. He didn't really believe it was happening. This can't possibly be happening. But the church is praying continuously, and it really was happening. So he comes to himself finally and says, oh, uh, I guess I'm really free. Cool, amazing. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Church was continuously praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Now I want to stop right there. Rhoda, a young gal, okay? A young gal. Probably like maybe even as young as Anahi, but maybe not. But certainly a young gal. She is, because everyone's praying, it's serious adult work, and so go answer the door. And this young gal goes there. She hears Peter's voice, which tells you something. She's been in church. She recognized the preacher's voice on the phone. Well, it wasn't the phone, it was on the other side of the door. But you get the idea. Okay? They, she's been in enough services to recognize Peter's voice. And that gets her so excited. You know why she's excited? Because she believes that that really is Peter. And she runs in. Let's see. Let's read the rest of the story. Here we go. Runs in and uh, announced that Peter stood before the gate. Verse 15. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. 
Yeah, she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, well, it's his angel. Now Peter continued knocking because no one lets him in. Um, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Here's a church praying continuously, and when God answers their prayer, they can't believe it. Can you pray without belief? Yes. There are too many times that we don't really expect God to answer the prayers the way we have prayed them because we don't really take Jesus' words to heart, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Because we have been trained, I have been, was trained in Sunday school that God answers prayer three ways. Yes, no, or wait. I don't find that in the Bible. It wasn't on the list there. Instead of pointing the finger of God as your answer yes, as your answer no, or as your answer wait, as though God is a, a fickle God up there that can't decide whether he wants to bless you or not, we rather blame God than take personal responsibility. Perhaps my prayers don't get past the ceiling because I don't meet the qualifications. Have I been abiding in God, have I been abiding in his words, word abiding in me? Am I bearing fruit? Am I obeying his commands? Am I enduring? Am I believing him? Now God responded, and the people didn't believe it, to the point that even with, with ear witness testimony, no, you're crazy, you, you've just been way too stressed. Why don't you sit down and have some tea? No. She says, no, I heard him. He's at the door. And then the door keeps knocking. You know, and even when they bring him in, you just wonder how many of the ghost people thought, oh, maybe we should touch him, see if he's real. He's real. They were astonished at answered prayer. Are we astonished at answered prayer? Because we're not expecting it. Because we don't really believe the promises of God. You see, if we really believed what we have been learning about the qualifications of this kind of praying, whatever you ask the Father in my name, what you ask of him uh, according to the, my character, according to my purposes in life, according to that, ask and you will receive. And perhaps one of the reasons too many Christians are walking around with sour pussy faces is because they don't have any joy because they haven't gotten much from the Father because they don't really ask. When they do ask, they ask amiss, James says, because they want to do it for themselves. And our prayers become gimme, 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 gimme. And I don't find Jesus praying that way. Are you praying according to the character of the person of Jesus Christ? Find in your, his praying a gimme, gimme, gimme. He asks one thing. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he immediately follows it, but not my will but yours, because I realize that that prayer itself is selfish and and it's impossible. There is no other possibility. We've already discussed this <laughs> back when I was with you up there. Right after the garden event. 
unless you're a lapsarian, then you believe it happened before the garden event. And so we find here that um, we are to pray according to these qualifications. All those things we listed that are essential Christian living uh, culminate in powerful praying. We talk about read your Bible, we sing a little song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But that's, and that's pretty simplistic, and we're talking to children, right? You guys know that song? How many of you know the song? Kids, you know the song? Okay. Um, and, we, and we start small, and we grow, grow, grow. Uh, read your Bible, pray every day. And it's pretty simplistic, and it, and it's, but it's a children's song, so that's okay. Uh, but unfortunately, we never get past that. We re- don't realize read your Bible means not just read it, but to absorb it into your life and make it define you that this is now what drives all of the thinking, all of the decision-making, all of my activities, that I want to bring it into conformity with the Word of God. And really, it's read your Bible, grow, and pray every day. Because you should be reading your Bible, growing, and then praying. And prayer should be the out working of reading your Bible and growing in our obedience to God. That as I obey him more and more, as I abide more and more in him, as his word abides in me, as I endure persecution, as I go through and obey his commands, as I trust in him with all my heart, my prayers take on an enormously more important role in my life because they're effectual. You sang a song already today called Sweet Hour of Prayer. And um, I remember one of the first times I was ever going to sing that um, in a choir number. And I was a smart aleck seminary graduate in an internship. And uh, I'm in the choir at Abbey Road Baptist Church. And of course, um, I was like, I'm not sure I should sing this because I haven't spent an hour in prayer yet. Ever. You ever try to pray for an hour? We sing about it, sweet hour of prayer, but is it our experience to ever have done it? It's hard. Um, when I have our pastoral prayer time, and you, how many of you notice that I skipped that today? I haven't done my pastoral prayer this morning yet. Did you even notice? We're going to do it afterwards because I'm preaching on prayer. But I used to have young people come up to me and say, Pastor, you prayed for like four and a half minutes. How do you do that? That's a long... And, they, and he'd time my prayers. So I'd say, let's pray. Look at his clock. and I don't know. He's learning how to tell time, I think. He's like 14, 13. I don't know. I knew how to tell time at that age, but he didn't. So I was excited. He was, and then he would turn it off when I get done praying. Amen. Wow. And he'd have to come and report that to me. You know, how do you pray that long? Minutes. And we become restless. How long is this prayer going to go? You see, we don't really believe that prayer is effectual. Now, 
I want to caution you a little bit. I'm not just talking about formalized praying and the idea that I have my head bowed, my on my knees, and I'm and I'm using a different language and tone. Um, that's formal praying, and there's a place and time for that. There's a place and time for public prayer, but. Prayer should be constant in our life. That is, that I have an understanding that my Father is always with me. The Spirit is residing in me. He is resident here. He's not just a visitor once or twice a week, um, but he is a resident within me. I have this access to the Father continuously, and so there are many times that I am praying, and my eyes are not closed because I'm driving. Do not close your eyes and bow your heads and get on your knees to pray while you're driving. It's not recommended. Okay? Um, And so do not associate this physical activity with a spiritual activity. Do not confuse those. And so um, this prayer should be a constancy. And the church, though, had gathered because there was something of, of great concern to them. Remember, the point of all this is let not your heart be troubled. God doesn't want you doing this your whole Christian life. And I'm not preaching the choir, I'm preaching the preacher. Okay, I already admitted I'm having a hard time sleeping this week because I got this big trip coming up. I got 10,000 things to get done, it seems like, before I leave. And then of all the time for them to come up and start digging up our road, it's this week. They took out another day of time because they were going to block us all out. That was a weird thing. So I had to go deal with the city and the county and the construction workers and inspector. I mean, I was, of all times, Lord, why? I got so much on my plate already. Maybe to get me ready to preach a sermon (laughs) so that I'm one of you and not someone preaching at you. God does not want your heart to be troubled. So as we have these concerns in our life, if we truly believed the promises of God and we really were working on our lives and we might meet these conditions, and I am confident that God does not expect you to perfectly accomplish all those before your prayers become effectual but that he sees in your heart that your heart desires and you are making choices to conform your life, to obey his commands and to obey him happily. 1 John says that that we obey his commands and his commands are not grievous. They don't bother us. We don't go, oh, I have to obey God. Oh, bummer. You know, if, if that's the case, then you're not genuine. We obey God happily, that we're going to abide in him, we're going to endure whatever the world throws at us with a smile. We're going to, we're going to walk this walk that God calls. We're going to be dependent upon Holy Spirit. We want to see fruit in our life. We're going to really believe this stuff. And it would, this is the point, that your heart would not be troubled. And we are missing one of the most vital and precious aspects of God's promises because we don't believe them. We pray selfishly, we don't get what we want, and we say, well, prayer didn't work. Wrong. Your prayer didn't work because you're praying amiss, wrongly. Because you didn't understand that before you start praying, you better back up and say, am I obeying God's commands? Am I abiding in Jesus Christ in the vine? Am I bearing fruit in my life that's evidence of, of, of my total following after the Holy Spirit? Am I, am I, 
are all these things, is the word of God abiding in my heart? Do I, do I meditate on it day and night that I might not sin against God? Are these realities in my life? And, but no, we blame God. He didn't answer my prayer because I asked to win the lottery this week. And I didn't. Why would you ask to win the lottery? What a stupid waste of praying. I would just invite you to go study the life of lottery winners and see how miserable they are. Do it. Dude, there are studies are out there. It, so for many of them, it destroys their marriages, their families, and their lives. Why would you pray for that? And then expect God to do it for you. When my children were young, I was tempted once to take them into a casino and to show them how stupid betting is by just putting their birthday money, you know, for the day, the $20, and watching it disappear and walk out and say, well, that took all two minutes. I never did that because I was deathly afraid that I would win. <laughs> and then my children would be completely convinced betting is great stuff. So I was never, but I, but I was like, why would you do that? Yeah, I was afraid of winning. I don't want to win. I want to teach my children that this is a, gambling is stupid. When the, when the announced rate is, we give out six cents for every dollar brought into this place. Think about that. I will trade you six cents for every dollar in your wallet right now. I didn't bring my coin jar. Um, <laughs> as long as you have fun doing it. <laughs> That's their announced statements. Why are we praying like that? Because we're selfish? Because we're stupid. We're foolish. And we haven't conformed our thinking to the thinking of God's word. We haven't even conformed our thinking to reality. The studies that are out there about the happiness of lottery winners is not a Christian study. It's not even a realm that I support. But that's the reality. That's the effect of it on families and on, and on lives. They, lottery winners commit suicide. Did you know that? So this is not about God giving you everything your flesh wants. It is about me conforming my flesh first to his word, and now once I put to death this foolishness and walk in wisdom, I can pray effectually. That is, I am praying according to the will of the Father, because I am walking as a child of the Father. And at that point, these promises are engaged, and God says, I'll give you what you ask. Ask. And Jesus Christ said, so far you've asked me nothing. Isn't that incredible condemnation? On his own inner 12, 11 at this point, you've asked me nothing yet. You haven't asked me for anything. Because in God's eyes, asking for bread and fish to feed 5,000, that's nothing. How long is that going to last? Well, you're going to be hungry in an hour or two again, if you're a teenager. Maybe four hours if you're a little older. Um, yeah, I, we fed some kids. I said, well, how long is that going to last? 20 minutes. <laughs> That's what a 14-year-old told me. I'll be hungry in 20 more minutes. I said, did you have supper before you came here? Yes. And you ate now? Yes. And you're going to be hungry in 20 more minutes? Yeah. 14. 14-year-old boy. Okay. So the f you have, that's nothing. Asking for that kind of stuff is nothing. You ask for something substantial, 
Ask for something that will last. And the fruit that remains that we talked about, that lasting fruit, is those things that last forever, for eternity. And I'm not talking about, you know, you love your spouse forever and all this nonsense. Um, yeah, it is, okay? I, I know he's going to tell you I love you forever, but that's only possible if he loves God and he's going to be with you in heaven. Because without the love of God, he can't love you forever. It's impossible. And she can't love you forever. She might not even love you till supper. Okay? Depending on how well you cooked it, right? Are we asking for things that last? I invited you already this morning to get up early tomorrow and spend a season in prayer for the Roberts family. For little baby Roberts that's going to be yanked out of his mother's womb by doctors in a very unnatural procedure because of his physical problems. Those physical problems we've been praying about for months and they have been somewhat alleviated and we praise God for that, that the heart isn't as bad as they said it would be. And we are Inviting you to get up in the morning extra early. I know you have, a, go to go, have to go to work. I know you have things on your agenda and to spend a season in prayer. Why is it? Well, we pray according to God's purposes and word. What's his promises? What's his, what, what, how does God feel? That's a weird thing. How, what does God think about these things? Well, we know that children are in heritage from the Lord. God is pro-life. We know that. We know that when we intercede for the life of a child, we are interceding in accordance with God's will because it is not God's desire. God doesn't even rejoice in the death of the wicked ones. Even if a wicked person dies, God doesn't clap. We do. I remember when Osama bin Laden was killed. Oh, and there was dancing in the streets. I know you didn't hear it on the mainstream media. There was dancing in the streets this uh, recently when Soleimani was, was assassinated. They were applauding the death of a wicked one. God never does. So I'm pretty sure that God isn't interested in this child's death because he is pro-life. So we're praying in accordance with God's purposes. But what I have continually prayed, and, and hopefully you've picked that up on it, is uh, if you've been here at the 5.30 per time, by the way, that's on the list. I haven't gotten to the list yet. The list uh, is coming. Uh, the 5.30 per time, if you've ever been here. And sometimes I, we, we divide up men and women in praying um, during that time, and uh, sometimes I pray alone. That's because I have to be there. Maybe there'd be no men praying. I wasn't paid to be here, right? So, if we really believed in praying, the prayer time would be the biggest service of the church. It really would, not the smallest. But we don't believe it. So, we um, pray, and if you've heard these prayers, you know what I'm praying. I'm praying, Lord God, astound the doctors at Houston and Albuquerque medical community over what you're going to do through this child. I want God to be glorified. And that's what Christ instructs us to. 
Are you praying for God to be glorified in it? Now that can happen in a multitude of ways, and I'm not, I'm not thinking that I should decide that. I'm saying, God, work in this situation, in these circumstances. You are the author and the provider of life. And you are pro-life, and we're praying for the life of a child, and we're praying for the lives of, the, of this child's siblings and parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts, and we're praying for this family and the, and the stresses and anxieties and hurts and, and fears that are there. Lord, we want you to, to work through this environment to your glory. I want you to astound the doctors at what you can do. And maybe that doesn't mean this child lives, or, but it certainly means that how the Roberts respond might astound the doctors. That they see a peace and a joy even in the midst of tribulation they've never seen before and that impacts them to consider what do these people have that I don't have because I could never respond this way to this environment. I don't know. It could, be the, it could be a complete healing and, and, and as uh, similarly with, with uh, the Schlegel family, one of theirs, and, and praying and then suddenly it's gone. The whole physical needs are gone. And we have a completely healthy birth. It could be anywhere along that spectrum. But I have asked God, Glorify yourself in this. We want your name magnified. We want the doctors, the nurses, the social workers, we want every staff member that's involved in this to be astounded, to be in awe of you. And that is what is going on in Acts. <laughs> they welcome Peter in. What does it say? They were astonished. How did you get out? I walked out. Got kicked in the side first by an angel. Bam! And you thought angels were nice guys, right? You know, they'll smack you sometimes if you need it. Um, and so, it led me right out. I'm astonished. And maybe I've been praying not quite enough. Maybe I've been only praying for the doctors, nurses, staff, and everyone in the family of, these, of this couple to be to be astonished. Maybe I should be praying that we be astonished. Because maybe it needs for us to really believe the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ, that among those promises is ask whatever you will and it will be done for you to the Father's glory in my name, in who I am. Do we really believe this? Then we would be praying differently. We would be praying expectantly. We would be praying uh, continuously. We would be praying fervently. And I love also in James, at the end of James, it says, if any of you is sick, um, you go and you get them to, to lay hands on you and the anointing of oil, you, know, you get the oil going and it was just kind of a medicinal, the balm kind of thing. And then he goes on and says, but it's the prayer of the righteous men that's going to help you. No, it's not the prayers in general. It's not just good vibes we're sending out. That's what the world, I'm having good thoughts towards you. What? Yeah, if I have good thoughts towards you, I'm sending you these vibes. Woo, 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 woo. What a waste. That's not what praying is. It's the prayers of the righteous that are avail much, that work, that are effectual. 
Even in that statement, James makes it very clear that your motives for praying, if you're praying amiss, matter, and you, the walk of your life matter in your praying. And if your praying isn't effectual, then maybe what, instead of asking God what's going on, you need to be asking yourself, man, am I really living for God? Because if you're not living for God, don't think your prayers are getting very far. The only prayer he wants to hear from you is a prayer of repentance, a confession of your sin, of unbelief. Because belief is a necessity to praying. Remember, it was the first one we covered. And the apostles were dealing with unbelief. They were like, just show us the Father and that'll be good enough for us. And just like, like oh, I've been hitting my head against a rock. Don't you know that I am the Father or one? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. At least you should have believed the signs. Let's go back to even lower belief than salvific belief. Let's believe the signs. No, we are called to a fullness of belief because we are invested with the Holy Spirit if we, if we have indeed trusted in Christ. And now we are called to this kind of, of activity in our life that culminates in prayers that are effectual. It doesn't begin with it. It culminates in it. That's the end result of a lives that are enduring, that are abiding, that are obeying, that are believing, that are, that are uh, bearing fruit, all of those things and, and more that, that as we engage ourselves in following after the Holy Spirit that our praying comes with force now. Having said that, maybe our response to people who come to us, and I hope this happens to you, um, and not just to me, uh, as a pastor, as a clergy member, people come to me and say, will you pray for me, will you pray for my family, and they give me prayer requests, and, um, uh, and that is uh, because they understand that as my responsibility. Uh, but let me just share with you that when that happens, um, they are asking something of you, saying, are you in a life condition that I don't have or that you share with me to pray to God? When they're saying, will you pray for me? They don't know they're asking this, but now you do. The real question is, are you in a right life condition to have effectual praying for them. And so I have to be prepared. And so maybe our answer to them is, I'll try to live up to the word of God that I can pray for you. Because maybe I'm not the person that should be praying for you because I'm not living, I'm not walking the walk. So if I give prayers, I'm just talking to talk because I'm just talking. It's not effectual. It's not doing anything for anybody. I'm just hearing myself talk. And if you think this is just my opinion, I invite you to study God's word at the times God doesn't hear your prayers. The Bible specifically says that husbands, God will not hear your prayers if you do not love your wife and care for her. That disqualifies you from praying effectually. You can pray, but God won't hear it. 
We go in the Old Testament and we see that a lack of justice in the land, God says, I will not hear your prayers any longer. Why? Because the widow and the fatherless are being neglected and abused. Study it. And find out how many of those things really, we fall underneath those sometimes. Am I really qualified to pray? Don't point the finger at God saying, God won't answer my prayers. Oh no, he promised and his promises are sure we should have every confidence and if it really, really believed it, if we really understood it and really uh, conformed ourselves to God's word and, and filled the, the if conditional statements, then our praying would be so different. It would be like Jesus in Gethsemane. Father, glorify your name. Not my will, but your will be done. But whatever is done, may your name be magnified among us. Astonish us by your power and grace and mercy and glory. Astonish us. And we'll make statements like, I can't believe that happened. And I'll say, I know. Because you were afraid to pray for it to happen. Now this is just for this life. The real things that matter are for people's eternal souls. And I challenge you, is that the most voluminous part of your praying is for those who are lost or those who claim to be saved but are not among those numbers that will answer to God. When God says, uh, when they come to answer before him, Lord, Lord, look what we've done in your name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. They're, con- they're, they're self-deceived, as John, 1 John 1 says, that they, they are deceive themselves, the truth isn't in them, even while they say that they know the Father. Are you praying for those kind of people? Are you praying for Christians that are in sin? You should be, that should be, in terms of volume, the spiritual needs of those around us, both of the unregenerate and the pagans, and of those who are nominally Christian and think they are going to heaven, but they aren't, they're lost, need to be continuous in our mind. Is, is the deliverance, Yes, we want deliverance. We want God. We want um, people to serve him faithfully. We want, and, and yes, I really want you to pray that my trip goes safely and smoothly. Um, but frankly, if we crash in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, I'm good with that. You might not be, but I'm good with that, okay? Um, because then I don't have to worry about nothing ever again. I'll be in glory, Okay? But if God wants us to have ministry, then, then Paul comes to the church over and over again. I beg of you, I beg of you, I beg of you, pray for me. Why? That the gospel might have free run, that, the, that it might go out with the urgency it deserves, that it might go quickly, that the gospel might be spread uh, in the hearts of men. And, and this is what he prays. He doesn't pray necessarily for personal safety. He says, just pray for me. He says, whether I'm in chains as a prisoner, or whether I'm free, what is my prayer? That God be glorified, that the gospel gets out there. He's praying for the lost, and he's inviting Christians, he's begging them. In every, almost every letter, you can go see it. Even the Corinthian church says, I beg you, pray for me, and the gospel might go out with great speed and effect. How much of our praying is for the gospel? Oh, I stubbed my toe this week. Lord, please help it heal. It hurts. Well, how long is a stub toe really going to hurt people? Come on. I mean, if it's 
cut it off, you know, and then it'll, even then it'll only take a few weeks to heal and you'll be all set. See, we're praying for the temporary and not the permanent. We're praying for the souls of men and women, boys and girls. That should captivate a majority of your praying. When we pray according to his person, his character, his will, to his glory, our prayers matter. And when we pray out of a life that is walking the walk of God's word, our prayers have this promise and force behind them. Whatever you ask the Father, he will give you. You don't have that because you haven't asked. When you ask for the wrong stuff, you ask him for yourself. And you're asking for temporary stuff that's nothing. It's nothing to God. I hate to tell you this, but American currency will not help you. It means nothing in heaven. Nothing. Zero. Zip. Nada. You want to build yourself a mansion here? Good luck with that. It ain't going to make it to heaven. Not ever. It has nothing to compare to what the precious places that God has for us in heaven. Ask something that matters from God out of a life that is obedient to him. And watch him astound you with his goodness and grace and love and mercy. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. And Lord, we I acknowledge before you that we don't believe you. We've spent too much of our life being troubled in our heart by little things of this earth that just don't really matter. And we haven't really put them into your hand. We haven't done what you've told us, to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Lord, forgive us of that. Lord, work in our hearts and our minds as we all come away feeling inadequate because we really haven't trusted you, we really haven't prayed as you call us to pray with an expectation of your promises and with a commitment to meeting the conditions of those promises. Lord, forgive us. And yet, Lord, we come before you as a repentant people wanting to change course, wanting to truly believe in you and abide in you to obey your commands and to bear fruit and have your word abide in us and to endure, to walk according to your spirit. Lord, we want that and we pray you might just continue to direct us We might spur one another on to love and to good deeds that we might encourage and strengthen and, and exhort and confront one another that we might walk, that you might hear our prayers. Lord, forgive us where we have failed. Cleanse us even now that this prayer might be effectual. Lord, we do pray in thanksgiving for the opportunity to be in your word today and to be gathered with your people in this place. We know this is just one of many places where your people are gathered this day and have been gathered in the past hours and other parts of this earth. And Lord, we Pray for them, and we pray that your word might uh, bring a 
powerful transformation in their lives as they conform themselves more and more. We pray for those that do not know you as Savior and Lord, that they might receive you as such. They might hear the word and not resist it, not, not uh, uh, move against it, but they might receive it. Lord, we pray for many who are in churches today who are not in a right relationship with you, who are just deceiving themselves with religious activity. Lord, we pray you might bring your word and your spirit to bear upon their lives that they might be convicted and that they might hear your word afresh and be need, and recognize their need to respond to that. Lord God, we pray for our contacts that we have to Word of Life and our church and for any that we encounter in this neighborhood and community, in our homes, in our families, extended families, in our workplaces, they do not know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, may they hear the word and see the word in our lives that they might have an opportunity to respond as your spirit convicts them to trust in you. Lord, we know that you're faithful in that, and that is your desire that all men come to repentance. And so, Lord, we pray that as your promises that your spirit will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, that he might convict these as, even as we encounter them, as we share the gospel, that as we live our lives before them, that they might know that they have been seen the light and that they need to respond to it by faith or by rejection, but that they might consider it. Lord, we pray that we might have those opportunities and have the boldness and courage and wisdom to lay hold of them as we encounter them throughout this week, that we might not shy away, that we might not be afraid of being spat upon, of being rejected, of being fired, of being uh, uh, left out, but that your word might captivate us and their need might be pressing upon us. Lord, we do pray for uh, those that we have come alongside of ministry in India, in, in Haiti, in Peru, we Pray for their, and in uh, the Philippines, uh, in, in regular Baptist International, with Brother Hindle uh, internationally. And Lord, we pray for these ministries. And Lord, we pr- thank you for uh, the good reports that we hear from them many times, but we also know they have great needs. And Lord, we look at them and we see their dependence upon you and their faith in you, and we are struck by the fact that we trust more in our accounts and in our own abilities and strengths than in you. And we thank you for the opportunity to know them, to minister with them, to learn from them. And Lord, help us to be worthy of joining them in ministry. Keep them in your word. It might go forth with power and speed in these end days. And we know that many of them are facing violent opposition occasions. Lord, we pray for their protection, but more importantly, we pray that whether by life or by death, your name may glorify and that many might uh, seek to uh, follow after you all their days. Lord God, we do this morning take up in our prayers and before you uh, the Roberts family. And Lord, we are um, unable to really do much, and yet we can do so much by our prayers. Lord, help us to walk in a manner that our prayers might be effectual for their sake, if not for our own. We might walk by faith, be obedient to your word, and abiding in you, and 
and in your word and, and enduring that, that these prayers might touch that situation just a few hours from now. Lord, we pray that you might give Kelly especially, but both Nathan and Kelly, peace. Give them a night's rest. And also for the physicians and nurses and those that are involved, you might give them a night's rest as well. That they might be fresh and invigorated and on their top of their game tomorrow morning early. And Lord, we pray that you might intervene in a very powerful fashion. You might demonstrate your power to your glory that we might be awed. You might fill both Nathan and Kelly and and Bill and Laura as well with your spirit to such a degree that no matter what happens, it is evident that they have your peace and your joy and your love in their life and that those around them might ask them and that they might be ready to respond of the reason for that hope, reason for that joy, that love, and that peace, and that they might give them the gospel unashamedly you might give them each word to speak to each person. And Lord, we thank you for the, what this event has already done for our church. We've begun to understand the priorities of life and the need that we all have of having one another to pray for one another. And again, Lord, we are reminded that that's only of any benefit if we're living in obedience to you. So we pray for these, and we pray that you might comfort them. We pray for this child. We pray for his life. We pray that you might again glorify your name. It might be evident to all those around, and especially to Nathan and Kelly, and to the the. Elizabeth and Samuel and Bennett and Evelyn of uh, their parents' love for them and of the seriousness of the issues involved and that uh, you might hear their prayers as well. Lord, help us to praise children, really believing that you are a father and you can fix things. Lord, we believe you can fix this. We want you to be glorified. We want your will to be accomplished in a powerful manner that will multiply the ministry not only of this church, but of that family and of the church universal. Lord, we do continue in prayer for those that are in authority over us. We pray for them. And we know that it is Satan's way to undermine authority, whether it be within a home to undermine the authority of parents, to undermine the authority of a father, husband. It is Satan's way to undermine authority within the church as well and in society, that we speak evil of those that you have put in authority over our lives, whether it be in the workplace, in our politics, our educational system. Lord, forgive us. For we have allowed Satan's tactic to be implanted in our hearts and minds Lord, help us to be submissive to these authorities around us. We pray for them, for we know that they will always be under attack. Pray you might help them to stand fast and where they have not submitted themselves to you, where these authorities are not believers. Lord, we pray that our 
lives before them might invite them to consider your authority in their life and the need to submit it to you. Again, Lord, we thank you for the time we can spend your word. We pray that it might not soon leave our thinking as we leave this place, but that it might dwell upon us, sit upon us, and invigorate us, that we might have a full Christian experience of what you intended for us. We praise things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.